0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. I titled this morning's message, Let's Worship God. I want to uh, take and read our text this morning. We're going to be reading and covering uh, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 19. As I'm reading uh, these verses, these eight verses here, I want to do a little bit of exercise with us. I want you to, as I read verse 1, and whenever it gets to the part Where it says saying hallelujah. I want you to read hallelujah and then read the rest of the verse back to me. And I want you to read it loudly. Say it as if you're in heaven saying hallelujah to the things that have just transpired. Let's read together and let's give it a try. After these things, John says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power. of Not too bad. I think it'll even be louder than that. But let's try, let's go on. For true and righteous... "...are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her." And now we come to verse 3 and we have a, we could call it a second outburst of praise. This is going to be a praise really for the destruction of this great city Babylon. Let's read verse 3. And they said, Hallelujah! The destruction of that great city Babylon. And here's this multitude in heaven just saying, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. We come to verse 4 and verse 5, and we see a a third outburst of praise. This comes from those that are around the throne. And we read in verse 4, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down, and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. You're getting a little weaker. (laughs) Get it out there. Amen. Hallelujah. Cry out. Verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And then we come to the fourth outburst of praise in verse 6. And really this is going to be a praise for the marriage of the Lamb has come. We read in verse 6, And I, John, heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God. Isn't that great? Let's do it again. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns you know that you're going to be saying that in heaven someday? This is the church in heaven crying out in praise and worship with a loud voice. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And then we're going to look at this morning verse 7 and 8. The marriage of the Lamb. And John says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The one word that stands out in all of these verses that we just read is hallelujah. We saw it four times in these verses. You know, when Shane and and myself, when we were in Nigeria, this was something that the church there in Nigeria, they used this word hallelujah or praise the Lord all the time in their service just in talking to somebody about the Lord and saying something positive about the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I mean, it was just, this is how they spoke. And you know what? And they said it loud. They were unashamed. Was, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And that, their services were lively, believe me. I don't know what it is about the American church. We're just kind of reserved. Not all churches. But we're a little reserved. But you know what? Sometimes I think that reservation that we have, sometimes I think it's because we're just people that are a little bit like, you know, I, just, I, I don't like to do that in front of people. I, I don't like to just be out there. in front. I don't like to raise my voice very loud when I sing because somebody might hear me. I got a bad voice or whatever it might be, but we don't like to, to raise our voices. But, you know, at our, this last Tuesday, we were at the uh, Winston-Salem mission there. And we were doing worship there with the men. One of the things that uh, uh, we had noticed about these men is that they, they sang loud. They were raising their voices up and they were just singing loudly It's encouraging, isn't it? To see people that are just unashamed lifting their voices. I'll tell you what, the men in our Tuesday night men study, they're doing good. They're getting louder in their singing. I think it was David Hawking, if you know him, that uh, would make the comment quite often that real men sing loud. I think we could probably say that of the women, too. Real women sing loud. And I think it's important. We need to prep ourselves for that day when we're in heaven. Because you're not going to be one of those people who are standing there real shy. You know, you're going to be singing it out. Maybe we'll have re- renewed vocal cords and we'll all sound beautiful. I don't know, but I hope so. But this word, hallelujah, it's actually a... Uh, It it comes from a Hebrew word. This Hebrew word is actually used 24 times in the Old Testament, but it's only used four times in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's translated hallelujah. But in the Old Testament, what you'll see is the Hebrew word is translated praise the Lord. And so when you are saying hallelujah, you're saying praise the Lord. And that's what the church there is in heaven is doing as they see the destruction of babylon coming to an end they're all just praising god you think you see things have changed up the church now is actually seeing the righteous judgments of god being unfolded upon this christ rejecting world the church is no longer praying for the salvation of this world, but they're actually praising God for his righteous judgments have brought this to an end. When we read of Israel in the Old Testament on many occasions, whenever Israel was delivered from the hand of their enemy, there was a great rejoicing that went on in their their voices. They would would sing out with rejoicing. We, We read in... Chapter 18 of Revelation, we read, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And just like the Old Testament saints, as they would rejoice over victory, we see the church here rejoicing and the apostles and the prophets uh, over the avenging of the apostles and the prophets that God has avenged them. All of those that have been killed, all those martyrs, God's righteous judgments have come. And it brings about a rejoicing in heaven. Now let's look at more detail in in verse 1. We read, after these things, and whenever we see that, and we've seen it a number of times as we've gone through the book of Revelation here, that After these things is referring back to something before it, which I believe is chapter 17 and 18. After these things, John says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. In verse 6 we see that John describes what these loud voices sound like. Look at it. And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude. And he says that it, sound, it was as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying hallelujah. Just think of the multitude of people and angels in heaven. Singing out with voices of praise and worship, and how that might sound. John described it as the sound of many waters. The sound of mighty thunderings. We just had a little thunderstorm the other day, and one hit near our house, and it felt like it shook the house. Can you imagine how it's going to sound when we're all lifting up our voices in unison together? In chapter 18, we read that the merchants and the shipmasters, the sailors and the traders all were wailing and mourning over their destruction. But here in verse 1, we see heaven rejoicing. Also back in chapter 17 and 18, John saw the great city Babylon that had been rebuilt, and the great men that were trading in this city, the great riches that were exchanging hands, the great harlot, and none of these things being great were positive. It was just the magnitude. But we're told that in one hour, we're told that these things, these great things came to nothing. Hallelujah. Mystery Babylon, which is also called religious Babylon, has now been destroyed. The great city Babylon, this commercial Babylon, has with great violence been thrown down and it's not going to be found anymore, it says. Hallelujah. Back in... 18, John saw the nations and the kings of the earth. Notice where their home is. It's on earth. The merchants of the earth. The great men of the earth. And now in chapter 19, John goes from, heaven, uh, goes from earth to heaven. Quite the contrast. And he hears this great multitude crying out, hallelujah. This word in verse 1 where John says, I heard the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. A multitude by definition is defined as a crowd, a throng, or a mass of people. I just want you to get that vision in your head of this mass amount of people just standing there worshiping and praising God. The question, though, might be asked, who is the multitude that we're seeing here in verse 1? If we look back at chapter 7, after we got that list of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and the 144,000 that were sealed by God, we read in verse 9, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, All nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I believe that this multitude back here in chapter 7... Is probably the same multitude that we're seeing here in chapter 19. John hears in verse 1, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. What is this multitude praising God for? I think the number one thing that they're praising God for is salvation. Salvation, And then what follows that is glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. We find actually this word salvation throughout the book of Revelation just three times. One of those times is here in our text. Another time is in Revelation chapter 7 verse 10. It says the great multitude is crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb in revelation 12:10 John says then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren which is Satan Who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now salvation has come. And glory and honor and power follow this great salvation. You know, this word glory, we see it in the Old Testament and we see it really in the form of God's Shekinah glory. It's what led Israel. It, it, it was the very presence of God in the temple there. God's Shekinah glory. It starts in Exodus sixteen seven, and it leads all the way through the Bible to Revelation chapter 21, verse 26, where we're told that the glory of God will illuminate the new Jerusalem there. Salvation and what follows is glory and honor. And power. This word honor is found nine times in the book of Revelation. We read in Revelation 21 24, it says that the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring glory and honor into the new Jerusalem. That new Jerusalem that we're going to inhabit someday that glory and honor are going to come to that place. Also, God's power. This word power here in our text is the word dunamis, which really is related most often to really God's creative ability, His power to be able to create. He literally spoke creation into existence. With just the very words of his mouth, he said, let there be light, and there was light. God's power, that Deuteronomy's power, related to our salvation. Just think of your great salvation and the power that it took to save you. The power that it took to raise up Jesus Christ from that grave. To have him come out of that tomb. Back in chapter 4, remember in the heavenly scene, the living creatures there that were around the throne began praising God. And this is what they were praising God. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. you see how they're, they're tying that all to God's power? You created all things. How big is your God? How powerful is your God in your life? How great is your salvation that you have this morning? I shared with you when we were back in chapter 4 and 5 that you better get comfortable with worshiping and praising God. (laughs) And we've seen as we've gone through the book of Revelation here, numerous times where different people, the angels and the church and uh, the 24 elders, and they're all breaking out in worship and praise to God. We need to get comfortable with it as a church. Not to be inhibited. By one another, how I sound, what people might think. I don't wanna get too crazy, (laughs) keep it mellow. But to be able to just from our hearts, and I'm not just talking about the volume, I'm talking about the passion of our hearts, worshiping God, crying out to God in praise and worship, and honoring Him. Remember, we're all, we're all going to be together. Maybe God will have Calvary Chapel, we'll all be saying in one little group. Man, I never heard you sing like that before. You didn't sing like that when you were in church, <laughs> but you're singing like that now. In Revelation 5.13, we read the church broke out in worship again. It says that every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth And such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Verse 2 tells us, For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. The church throughout all of church history for the last 2,000 years has been exhorted to evangelize and to pray for the salvation of lost souls for all these years. But now the time has come to an end the end of the tribulation period. Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago in Matthew 28, he says, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And he says, I will be with you till the end of the age. You know, but at the end of the age, evangelism is going to stop. Did you know that There's one thing that you can't do in heaven. That's evangelize. There won't be any event. It sounds like it should be a book title. It is. (laughs) I stole it. It's a book title. The one thing that you can't do in heaven. Evangelize. But now the church is gathered in heaven. And as the tribulation comes to an end, the church is now praising and worshiping the one who has executed righteous judgments against all those who have rejected so great of salvation. You see, we're no longer praying for the lost. Now we're praising God for his righteous judgments against those who have rejected. But it's sad to say... We already read in chapter 9 verse 20 that after the sixth trumpet judgment is blown and all of those judgments were poured out on this earth, we're told that the earth dwellers, they did not repent. After the fourth bowl is poured out upon this earth, in chapter 16 verse 9 we read, and they did not repent. You see, there's going to come a point at which the Holy Spirit of God is no longer going to be drawing the souls of men. And when God, by His Spirit, stops drawing, they can't come. The only way that we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is because He drew you, He sought you out, He saved you apart from yourself. And then we read again in verse 3. It says, Again they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And we already read in chapter 18 verse 17 how the merchants, how they stood at a distance crying out when they saw the smoke of this great city burning. Hear the church is now in heaven rejoicing over the righteous judgments of God against this city it appears from revelation 18:2 that after babylon's destruction that it's going to remain really a heap of destruction a burning heap It's also going to be a prison for these demonic spirits that could actually and probably will go even into the millennial reign. It'll be an area probably that'll be designated really even during that whole millennial reign. We come to verse 4 in our text and it says in the 24 elders... And the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. They're in agreement. These 24 elders, these four living creatures, amen, hallelujah. And we've already looked, but some of you weren't here. We've looked at really the identity of these 24 elders and these four living creatures, but I think I need to remind you, I believe that the 24 elders spoken of here, I believe, are representative of the church. Here's something interesting about this, though, that if in Revelation chapter 19, our text this morning, if the 24 elders that are in heaven are the church praising and worshiping God then the 24 elders that we read about in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, they're also there in the heavenly scene, which I believe is going to be the period at which the church is going to be raptured. The 24 elders that are there in heaven are there before the throne, seeing the throne room of God seeing the lamb taking the scroll out of his hand in chapter 5 but it's before the seals are broken in chapter 6 so that tells me that even before the tribulation begins and God begins to pour out his judgments upon this earth the church is in heaven we've already been taken and I believe in chapter 19 here the church is still in heaven and they are praising God and worshiping God. Another reason for believing that these saints are not angels, as some people have tried to say, is because of the things that are ascribed to these 24 elders. Uh, These are things that could not be ascribed to angels. In uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, we're told that these 24 elders, that they're clothed with white robes, which is really something that is speaking of redeemed, those that have been redeemed, or I believe the church. They also have crowns of gold on their head, and we don't read of angels having crowns of gold on their heads. And we also read in that verse that they are sitting there on thrones, which angels are never spoken of as being sit, seated on thrones. And so I believe it's another indicator that the 24 elders is a picture of the church in heaven. Then we have the four living creatures that we see. These, I believe, are angelic beings uh, that we saw also in Revelation chapter 4. In verse 6 we read, Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, there were four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I believe that what we're seeing here are four angelic beings that are also there in the throne room, there in heaven in chapter 19. I believe that these four living angelic creatures that are there in heaven really could have reference, and some have referenced them, to the Gospels. When we read of this description of these four angelic beings, we know that as you look at the uh, Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John... That Matthew, it's been written really with the context of writing to the Jews. And it's also a, the book of Matthew is a, really has an emphasis upon Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah. Which is also a reference to that lion, Jesus Christ, the tribe of Judah. We also have the gospel of Mark that was written to the Romans with an emphasis on servanthood, that Jesus came into this world as a servant and thus we have this image of this ox. We have the gospel of Luke written to the Hellenist uh, with an emphasis of Jesus being the son of man, speaking of his humanity. And thus we have this angelic being with the face of the son of a son of the ma- of man and then lastly the gospel of john written to the greeks and really the emphasis there in the gospel of john is upon the deity of jesus christ as the son of god and thus we have the eagle that is a reference there also it says amen which this amen is to the great multitude And they are all saying in agreement, hallelujah. And then John hears in verse 5 another voice. Look at your Bibles. Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne. And it could be, it doesn't tell us specifically, but it could be that this voice is one of these four living creatures. But this is what John hears this voice saying. Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. This angel, I believe here, is calling for all of God's servants, many of whom were martyred, and then all of those who fear your name to praise God. It's really a command here that the angel is giving, that they would praise God and give glory to him. We see in verse two, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Hallelujah. God is or this angel is calling for them to praise God. And now in for the fourth time John hears this voice of this great multitude open up in praise and worship for this long awaited marriage to come. Verse six. And I heard as it were written as it was written, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What we have... Throughout scripture is we have these pictures, and they're beautiful really pictures, of the relationship that God has with his people. We know that God has uh, given us this picture really of the relationship that he has with Israel. Israel is his wife. in Israel, and we're going to learn more about this really next week. But Israel is... God's wife, but we also have the picture of the bride. And the bride, I believe in scripture, is the church. You're the bride of Christ. And that's where we have to understand a little bit about the Jewish wedding and what the Jewish wedding really comprised of. It's really not in a, a lot of ways... Uh, very similar to what we do here in in America, but it is very typical in a lot of countries today that they still do it this way. The Jewish wedding was really broken down into four parts. The four parts were first, the arrangement. The second part has been referred to as the fetching of the bride. The third part is the marriage ceremony. And the fourth part is the marriage feast. And so as we read verse 7 and 8 about this long-awaited marriage to come, uh, the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. It's that picture, really, of this Jewish wedding. But first off, we have the arrangement. Uh, the arrangement is the father of the bride, the father that uh, that comes and and really makes arrangement for the daughter, uh, and also it's makes way for this dowry to be paid for her. It's it's I kind of like this whole thing. I had three daughters. You know, it's it's like, you know, I would have loved to, and you know what, by the grace of God, God gave me good son-in-laws. But you know what, when you have daughters as a father, you want to be able to pick the man. You know what, you want to be able to go out and pick. But here's what's unique about the Jewish wedding, is that the father could go out and pick that bride long before that day would ever come. I mean, it, that daughter could be young; could be a young little girl, and is already picking out who that might be. That long-awaited time frame. This arrangement uh, we can read about. Uh, really, this period of waiting time, or this this time that she is being made ready, in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five we a lot of times relate this to the marriage relationship between a husband and wife, but it is also the relationship between Christ and the church. This is what it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. It's what Christ does in the church, that he might present her The church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's God's preparation of the church. The price paid by the Father in our picture here of this wedding the price or the dowry that was to be paid could be and is i believe the precious blood of jesus christ that was the price that was paid the arrangement because it took so long many times for that those two to grow up and to come together uh, there was a lot of preparation that was going on within the bride The readiness and preparation of the bride. This part of the wedding for believers, I believe, in this first part of this feast has already been completed. This has already been done. Then there's the fetching of the bride. The fetching of the bride is where the groom will go to the home of the bride and bring her home. It's the time for him to go. But here's what's interesting about the fetching of the bride. Is that this period between the arrangement and the fetching of the bride, because it could be a long time, there had to be preparation for a place for that bride to come to. A home that she was going to be able to come to, that awaited place. We know that the church has been waiting for 2000 years uh, from the time that Christ died on the cross and the church were birthed the church has been waiting preparations are being made and have been made for this marriage to take place the marriage in heaven we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, in reference to the rapture of the church. Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus' Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I believe that this fetching will be the rapture of the church. When the Lord comes back and takes, really, the church to be with Him. What's interesting is that it's the Father who determines who determines the timing that the groom is going to come for the bride we read we read in Matthew 24 verse 36 Jesus says but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven but the father alone it's only the father that knows that timing of the rat, when he's going to return to fetch his bride the church we also read in John 14, 1, that the bride that is being fetched by the groom has a place that has been prepared for her. In John 14, 1, we read, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Then we have the third part of this marriage ceremony. Revelation 19, verse uh, 6 and 8, were. Only a few are going to be invited. And I'm going to leave pretty much, leave it at this uh, point uh, today because we're going to go further with this next week. But there's only going to be a few, meaning the church, saints that are going to be at this part of it. The bride will finally be made ready in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice And give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. She has her bridal gown on, in verse 8. And to her, speaking of the church, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I think it's interesting that all of these things that we're reading here take place in heaven. And they're happening just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because we're going to finish chapter 19 with the return of Jesus Christ and the second coming. All of this is taking place. These hallelujahs and praise to God for his righteous judgments. And then the hallelujah and praise for this marriage that is going to finally come to pass. is all happening right at the end of the tribulation period. While the church is in heaven. Right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Another interesting thing to consider in regards to the timing of all of this and these, uh, these, this uh, wedding gown that is the righteous acts of the saints is that this bride has been made ready. All of this, this preparation of God saving you and the preparation in your life for you to stand before the Lord But remember that we're told in Corinthians and by the Apostle Paul that the church someday is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the great white throne judgment, that's for unbelievers. But it will be the bema seat of Christ. It will be where all Christians will stand before Jesus Christ and God will judge our works as to what sort they are. But it's interesting that when we're reading in Revelation chapter 19 that this bride comes with this garment on with the righteous acts of a clean linen bright clean linen standing before the Lord that I believe that this Bema seat this standing before the judgment seat of Christ has already taken place. When did that take place? I believe that as we are raptured as the church, I believe as we stand before the Lord, that it's probably going to be in that beginning part of the tribulation period that the church is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be made ready for this day in Revelation chapter 19 where the church is going to be made ready to to come into that union really as the bride of Christ. It's going to be a glorious day for all of us. It's going to be a time of of rejoicing. We're going to return, I believe, in chapter 19 with the Lord at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then after that, we will go into the millennial reign of Christ. We're getting to the part of Revelation once again where this is the stuff that will sounds a little encouraging doesn't it we're in heaven now we're rejoicing in heaven and we have this future place that God has prepared for us this holy city that we're going to this new Jerusalem that we're going to spend eternity with the Lord We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.